Perspective. And welcome to the Table of Perspective, where we take a deeper look into how the internal narrative of an individual determines the response to life itself and all it entails. Today, I am your host, Bueller, and I'll be doing a little bit of coverage on a book called Twice Freed by the author Patricia St. John. Do enjoy our first song and we'll get straight into it. Thank you. 
that I can approach your throne. You call on my name to come closer. To throw off my cares and come running home. So maybe a little bit of background about this book. It's always fun for me to look back at how I obtained a book and the kind of impact it had in my life. I was in a school where we used the curriculum called ACE, and that's known as the Accelerated Christian Education. So what we had was instead of having a textbook and our workbooks that you'd work separately in, we had something called PACES. And if you're familiar with ACE, you'll know that these paces have kind of like storyline strips in them. And as you get into the older grades, some of, they kind of lessens a little bit. And there's this narrative of the characters, Ace and Christy and Pudge and all the different characters that basically you grow up with. And it's, it's quite fun actually to see. But in our English paces, we had to usually do book reports of some sort. It wasn't exactly like a book report, but to some degree, the way that the questions were asked did elaborate on that. So there was a period of time where we had to do this one book called Twice Freed. And what was interesting is the previous books that we had to do in grade 10 and 11 and beforehand, I think maybe even grade 8 and 9, they weren't, well, for me personally, I didn't find them as grasping as when I picked this one up. And basically on the back of the book, I'll just go into a little bit of the information about it. And it says, Gold Flowers Gifts were falling around him, but Onesimus, or Onesimus, uh, turned his back on them all and fled from the arena. He was gasping from loss of blood and in agony from his fracture, but this was nothing compared with the agony of his heart. What were riches and fame and glory now? Full of guilt, hate and fear, Onesimus, the slave, flees from his master Philemon. He runs searching for something that eludes him every step of the way, freedom. Just when freedom seems near, the footsteps that have followed him finally catch up. Now he must make a decision, to continue in his own way which only seems to bring him deeper into bondage, or to choose the way of Christ and give up the hate and resentment that he had harbored for so long. What, which would he choose? Follow Onesimus from slavery and servitude to a life as a runaway. Go with him all the way to Rome as Bible characters come to life every step of the way. Packed with adventure, hope, and love, Twice Freed is based on the New Testament book of Philemon. It is a book that will stir your heart and cause you to look for freedom within your own life. So it's quite similar to um, another author that usually writes, um, I think her name is Francine Rivers, where it's an elaboration of a Bible story um, whereby instead of having only the scripture, there's an elaboration of what the characters would have done or how they would have interacted and the kind of experiences they would have had, the internal um, narration almost of their thought process in, in that story. And it really does cause you to reflect more on the, the actual scripture passage and it helps you to, to have a better view of it, I would say, in, to some degree. So I'm just going to read a couple paragraphs, maybe um, a few pages from the first part of the book, just to get a feel of the way that it is written. It's really easy to read and the way that it's narrated is, is it's very true to life, I'd say almost. And it paints a really good picture of the, the time frame that it is in. So on the third page, I'll begin. It says, it was a mid-afternoon in early July and the parched world was in general asleep. The black flocks for which the valley was famous huddled under the poplar trees, and the reapers drowsed in the shade of their shocks of wheat or under the wooden carts. In the well-to-do houses set above the pasture land, prosperous landowners and farmers and wool merchants slept soundly in their couches, 
while their slaves dozed guiltily with one ear cocked, under the vines of the courtyard. Even the vultures hung motionless as though stuck flat against the blue. Only up in the gorge where the air seemed to swim over the burning rocks, something moved. A brown-skinned boy of 14, naked except for a loincloth and sandals, was, ca- was climbing the, ca- the canyon with the grace and agility of a young wildcat. He cared nothing for the sweat that was streaming down his face or for the rocks that blistered his hands, for this was his hour of freedom. From early dawn till late at night he belonged to his master and outwardly bowed to his dis- discipline. But at this hour he belonged to himself and lived and conquered and exalted. Here in the canyons nothing could withstand him. In winter he cut paths through the snowdrifts and in spring he breasted the cascades with the waterfalls. In the summer fierce afternoon heat could not daunt him and he climbed on with one eye on the sun which was now to the west of him. When the shadow of the rock above him reached the border of the olive grove below, he knew he must turn home. But he still had time to reach the old fallen pine that blocked the ravine and to dive into the green pool that lay on the farther side of it. The gorge was narrowing now and the pines and stunted oaks and junipers cast their shade across the ravine. The stream was no more than a trickle, but it was cool and sweet and he dashed the water over his face and his body felt as though he could go climbing on all day. He always yearned to go farther up, to the bitter salt lake, Anava, where the absinthe flowers grew, and where the river Lycus was born, up to the snows of the, the Mount Cadmus. But the shade was creeping towards the olive grove, and his master would be stirring in his sleep. He cursed and spat. At least he would have had time for a quick swim in the green pool that was so deep, but it never dried up. He scrambled up onto the fallen tree and then stopped dead his mouth open and his eyes dilated with a strange superstitious fear. A young girl was sitting on the trunk, dangling her legs over the water, singing softly to herself. She was about 12 years old, small and slender, with dark smooth hair hanging to her waist. Her cheeks were flushed with heat and her lap was full of the flowers she'd been gathering, drooping scabious and buttercups and forget-me-nots from the stream's edge. So absorbed was she that she did not notice the boy approaching. Who was she? Her simple tunic was of rich material, and her sandals were new and expensive. Her bearing, even as she played, was that of a little queen. He watched her intently, crouching on the trunk, for he was not sure of her identity. Was she of some daughter of Saibal, the great mother of nature, to whose arms the dead returned like homing children? Well, if she was, there was nothing to fear, for she certainly was no demon. He drew a little nearer, a twig snapped under his feet. She looked up and gave a start, but showed no great surprise or fear, for she was a practical girl, and to her a boy was a boy. Besides, he appeared to be a nice boy, and she was just beginning to feel slightly afraid of what she had done. What are you doing up here, boy? she asked in perfect Greek. I thought everyone was asleep. What are you doing? he retorted rather severely, for he was convinced now that she was nothing but a human girl. It is long way up the canyon for a little maid to stray alone. And anyway, who are you? I'm Irene, replied the girl. She spoke guardedly and watched him gravely, as though wondering how much it was safe to reveal. And as he gazed back at her, the tremulous sunlight falling upon her through the pine boughs, so alone and defenseless among the crags of the ravine, and found himself longing to know all about her, to gain her trust and, if need be, to protect her. But where is your home, Irene? I've never seen you playing with the girls of Colossus. I live in Laodicea, she replied, still watchful and still hesitant. 
Laodicea, he repeated in astonishment, for Laodicea was ten miles across the valley. Surely you never came here alone, and will no one be looking for you? Yes, they will, her eyes suddenly twinkled with amusement, and her confidences came pouring out. They will be going crazy with worry. I came over this morning with my father. He makes cloaks, and he came to talk with Master Philemon about wool. But they went in to dine together, and I was left with my nurse and slaves. The nurse started to talk to Philemon as slaves, and she didn't want me to hear. She gave me some food and told me to go out into the vineyard, but there was nothing to do in the vineyard. I wanted to climb and see what lay at the top of the canyons, so I ran away. I climbed right up here, and I would have gone farther, but the green pool stopped me. But weren't you afraid, so high up, all alone? No, replied Irene with spirit. I like being alone. I get sick of my nurse. She's so afraid of my father that she never takes her eyes off me at home. It is Irene this, Irene that, till I could scream. Why should I do what she wants and where she wants me to go all day long? Don't you ever want to get away from everybody and do what you like, instead of doing what you're told all the time? The boy laughed out loud. Here was indeed a kindred spirit. Yes, indeed I do. This is why I come up here to the ravine. So just to maybe close off on that point, as the story goes on, it elaborates quite nicely about uh, both the boy and the girl's life, but it also goes into different friendships and betrayals that they experience and also some of their family history. And obviously we do know that uh, if, you're off, if you are familiar with the, the, the scripture, especially in the book of Philemon, there's a lot that happens in terms of the, the, the church itself and the Old Testament believers. So it's, it's really such a delightful way to, to look through it. And just after the second song, I'll finish off a couple more lines and then we'll close off. So do enjoy. This is stupid. My favorite show is on. My Jesus meter on four. And my team is on that overflow. It's heavy with the young bulls. But I'ma rock out 
See, I ain't perfect, so I need his grace and mercy. Just don't hold me and console me when I'm feeling so unholy. Case my flesh should get the best of me. Romans 8, 28, a workout for my destiny. Won't be the death of me. My Jesus made up all four. And my team is on that overflow. It's heavy with the young bulls. LMI, if you know, you know. Yeah, we just from life. Closer to the end of the book, there is more interaction with characters. He obviously grows up and experiences different um, betrayals and he finds new friendships. And then they start speaking about the character of Christ because this child had grown up abandoned of all morality apart from having to be a slave, a slave child really, and follow the practices of their masters. So there's more of a choice that's offered later in the book and it comes to him actually encountering Christ. So I'm just going to read a couple lines from uh, page 115 and it says that he spoke sadly and quietly as though his passionate grief had died in the telling. They sat for a few minutes in silence and then Archippus spoke again haltingly. I went on into the church. We started with a great love feast, food and drink in profusion. All seemed satisfied, patronizing, lukewarm. And I was like a man starving for living bread and water. Perhaps it was not Christ I was seeking. I wanted her, Onesimus, or falling her, for her, uh, some human comfort and solace. He knew he is very merciful towards our meekness. Our weakness, sorry. What do you mean, master? Oh, drop that master, can't you? I loathe this master-slave relationship. We were babies together, Onesimus. You were my friend years before you were my slave. And Christ was merciful. I needed him, but he touched me with a human hand and spoke to me through human lips. You came. Me, interrupted Onesimus, thoroughly alarmed at this new part he seemed to have played. Yes, you. You have not spoken to me like that for more than two years, and I know now. Onesimus, why did you put up all these barriers and act like a dead dummy? Is it because I ill-treated you before I knew Christ? Heaven knows how I have repented of my pride and cruelty and deceit. Will you never forgive me? It was getting dark now, and a sickle moon had risen over the poplars. Deep called to deep, and truth to truth. It is not that, said Wansimus. I forgave you years ago. I think I'm afraid of you. Or perhaps I'm afraid of that Christ that dwells in you. Afraid of Christ? Archippus sat up, his troubles forgotten, hope surging in his heart. How can the dead fear life, or the blind fear light, or the lost sheep fear the shepherd who comes to carry it home? Oh, Wansimus, only if you knew. I do know, said Wansimus hurriedly, and I'm still afraid. But of what? The slave sat silent. How could he tell Archippus how much he feared that light, which would shine on his old sin and force him to confess it, and cast it on Christ forever? Far better carry the guilty burden to the grave than that. And it would no doubt shine on the paltry heap of stolen coins and cut across his life's ambition. Far better remain in bondage to sin eternally than to risk his chance of calling himself a free man in this world. He suddenly realized that he was desperately afraid now. Love was very near to him. In the tender colors of the sky and the breath of the warm summer night, it was in strength and humility of the boy's, a boy at his side. 
in the unrecognized presence who indwelt his people. Who could withstand that invasion and what could uh, be the terrible consequences of yielding? He dared not even consider it, and he rose to his feet in panic. Come, he said harshly, let us go home. That way is not for me, Archippus, I have told you before. I could never bring my life and plans into line with that sort of thing, but I'm glad it's not comfort to you. And you need it, I do not. You need it desperately, replied Archippus, simply, and then fell silent. Once he mistook his young master's arm and led him over to the rough ground to the gate of the court where Aphia stood looking out over the dark fields, anxiously waiting for her son's return. Once he misbade him in his usual respectful goodnight and turned home. But his mind was in turmoil. That night he feared what had happened to him, as far as he knew for the first time. According to the Christian jargon of which he had heard enough to last him until he died, the risen Christ had drawn near to him and called to him to him. As surely as he had drawn near to Archippus when he fell under the feet of the mob. But that price, he asked, was too high, and once he mismade his great refusal. Now let him weigh up his assets and live for them alone, for they were all he had. He drew out his bag of coins and went over and stared at his mother. She was asleep, breathing very rapidly and tossing relentlessly. She shook her head gently and woke with a start. Mother, he began, sitting down beside her. Do you remember that night when we sat in the doorway at the sunset and you told me all about my father? She lifted her white face to his and a little flicker of fear passed over it. But she answered quietly, I remember my son. Mother, do you remember what else you told me that night? Yes, I remember. She shivered and started coughing. Mother, I want to see that little hoard of coins. I want to count them. That time might be very short now, and I must know what is mine. So he had never guessed, and she must tell him. They were not yours, my son, she said. They belonged to my mistress. When I returned to Christ, he bade me to put away stealing and restore every man his goods. So I returned them. How could I do otherwise when he had called me to walk in the light? Once he misclenched his fists, he was alone, forsaken. They had all gone over to this Jesus, and even his own mother had betrayed him. In his fury, he struck out at her in the dark. She fell backward with a little gasp and co started coughing again. Terrible choking, coughing, thoroughly alarmed and bitterly, bitterly ashamed, he lit a rush and brought her some water and helped her to sit up. And as he did so, he saw that on her pillow and gown were blood. So, just to close off there... It's the entire life story of Onesimus and seeing how he'd come from the self-oriented morality to actually encountering people who had had their lives transformed and surrendered everything to Jesus and him having to encounter old friends that had maybe uh, betrayed him or hurt him and them having repented. So it's the struggle between him and his flesh and his desires and going over and choosing Christ and making that sacrifice of the initial repentance, but then also receiving that new life in Christ and having that hope which is eternal. So as a whole, it's definitely something that I would strongly advise uh, reading. I remember when I picked it up, I read through it, although that was not how we were supposed to do it with Pacers. You're supposed to read chapter by chapter, but I finished the whole book because I just really couldn't put it down. And then um, once I completed it, I had to reread it again when we we're doing the pace. So as a whole, I would really, really encourage you to read it. It's such a, a well-written book and the storyline is extremely um, clear. There's really nothing to, to be confused by the way that it's written. But yeah, that's all for me. I do hope that you enjoyed it and somehow found it beneficial. And have a great day. Cheers. Thank you.
I'm so bold, I'm courageous They ask me where I get my strength, how I'm so brave is cause I'm so bold, I'm courageous I get my strength from my God, that's what my faith is All up in these pages, I read my Bible Yes, it's on the daily, I read my Bible Myself and now put my faith in God. Ain't worried about breaking, even though I'm just trying to beat the odds. I'm just trying to be the guy to make it out the side. Trying to thrive, not just get by. Trusting God is what I live by. Look at the road, it's God's time. It's God's time. It's God's time. Long as they breath in my lungs and blood in my veins, you can know it's God's time. It's God's time. It's God's time. You know that's why I'm so bold. I'm courageous. They ask me where I get my strength. How I'm so brave is cause I'm so bold. I'm courageous. I get my strength from my God. It's where my faith is. All up in these pages. I read my Bible. Yes, it's on the daily. I read my Bible. Hold up, you ready? This one right here is prophetic Focus on God and get better Put your head in the work, keep your head up When you fall on your knees but you get up You know God got you, don't give up No God got you, don't give up You real, go get up Go get up for God Go get up for God So beautiful God So beautiful God Died to myself, he gave me new life Gave me the sun when I'm in the midnight And the moonlight and the do right I've been trying to get the mood right Food for thought, we in a full fight I've been walking in a new life I've been trying to get the mood right Food for thought, we in a full fight I've been walking in a new life I'm so bold, I'm courageous They ask me where I get my strength out Stay updated, stay entertained with Active FM on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, LinkedIn, Spotify, Anchor, and everywhere else. Engage with us, like posts, comment, share them out, retweet, retweet, and repost. Spread the word. Active FM. Radio has never been better.